Father, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are a God who has spoken, who has revealed yourself to us, revealed your will uh, for our li- your will for our lives and for this world. And, and we thank you that we can now take um, that which you have spoken to us. Uh, we can read it. We can look upon it. We can think deeply on these things. Uh, but even as we have set aside uh, this time now for that um, glorious task, um, we are aware that as we turn to very familiar passages of Scripture, we can so easily think, oh, we understand it, we know it, um, and we don't really um, think deeply, don't engage it um, in a way that it is worthy of. And so, Father, we're asking for you to take very familiar words of Scripture, the words of Jesus himself, and would you speak to us uh, through them? Would you uh, teach us those who are so familiar with it? Would, would we see something new, something fresh that would arrest us, that would stir us, that would bring us comfort, that would bring us conviction, uh, that you would do the work that you have set for all of eternity for this morning to accomplish in each one of our lives that are gathered in this room? Because we're not here by accident. We're here by your sovereign care and control over our lives. And so as we meet with you and reflect upon your word, we ask that you would speak to us. So we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we are now in week two of a new series of of, uh, messages we are doing entitled The Heart and Mind at Rest, where we're looking at the theme of anxiety and looking at it from various angles. Uh, And this morning, we're going to come to the subject of anxiety about tomorrow. Um, tomorrow being the unknown. We, we relate to the issue of the future and its mysteries, uh, our ignorance about uh, what is to come on different levels. We might feel concerned personally. Well, you know, what about uh, my future? The potential troubles that I may face uh, in the near future, in the distant future? How can I possibly re- relax when I don't know what will happen to me? I, I don't know what will happen to my family, my children, uh, my community, my nation. I guess we all uh, feel that, particularly here in the U.S. at the moment, when the current goings-on uh, politically, uh, the, 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 the near future, let alone the distant future, seems a, a very mysterious prospect. The future of the environment that we hear about, the future of our planet. How how can we relax when we don't have any idea how to to be sure of the future? And the mysteries of tomorrow can create a sense of anxiety for us. And our anxieties, our fears, are in direct relationship with our sense of need, our desires. These kind of things operate like a seesaw. You, you get desire and fear working in relationship. For, so for exi- instance, if I deeply desire to be respected and affirmed, then the thing that I will fear the most will be criticism. If that's what I want, if I want approval, the thing that I will fear will be to be, to be criticized. If I desire to be loved, the thing that I will fear will be, will, more than anything, will be rejection. If I desire physical comfort, if I desire just to be comfortable, the thing that I will fear will be pain most of all. And these fears that compete in our mind, and we might in reality be subject to all kinds of them, 
they can end up becoming a burden to us. The book of Proverbs uh, puts it in these terms. Proverbs 12, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. It weighs him down very often in quite irrational ways even because fear doesn't necessarily work in a rational, logical way as we might think that it does. It works by intimidation. It works by bullying. It works on our emotions. It works by propaganda. And it insists on our full attention. But this morning, I want to bring to you the insights of someone else who insists on our full attention. Uh, I want to talk to you about what Jesus says about anxiety regarding the future. Uh, And to do that, we're going to turn in our Bibles to Matthew's uh, Gospel into chapter 6, Matthew 6, verses uh, 25 to 34. Uh, And we're going to read some quite famous words from Jesus. So if you have your Bible, please turn and follow along. Um, But if you don't have a Bible, that's fine. Uh, Certainly follow along. You'll find the text written in your worship folder. This is what Jesus says. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So Jesus tells us not to be anxious three times uh, in this passage I just read. You can count them. Three times he says, do not be anxious. This comes as a command from Jesus. Don't be anxious. Three times. He makes it fairly clear that we shouldn't be anxious. And just to kind of amplify this point, this is perfectly in keeping with what the Bible consistently says about fear and anxiety. In fact, there are over 300 uh, instructions to be found in the Bible where God says, do not be afraid, over 300 times. And so you get the point. This is kind of the tone that God takes when He shows up. He doesn't want us to live in fear and in anxiety. Now, there might be a, a couple of questions that we'd have off the back of that as a result straight away. One of them would be, well, you know, what about just planning? What about, you know, having any thought to the future? I mean, the way Jesus talks here, it might sound as though he's even against, you know, insurance. He's, a, he's against pensions even. And, and that's going to be a bit of a problem for many of us. And so we need to think carefully about the point that he is making here. 
I mean, he refers to the birds as a lesson for us, a visual lesson, and he talks about how they are provided for and they don't have any anxieties. But that doesn't mean they don't work. It doesn't mean that the birds don't plan for the future. So I don't think we need to assume that all planning is out the window. And it certainly doesn't mean that, that all work is out the window. Jesus is not saying here, guys, you know, who needs it? Just, you know, honestly, just rest, just relax, just put on some vinyl and chill. And, 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 and people have made that mis- mistake, uh, that, uh, saying that Jesus is essentially making that kind of point here. But the Bible does, in fact, exhort us to take responsibility. Yeah, to work and to plan to, to even plan for the future. And believe it or not, birds do that themselves, right? They build nests. Some of them even store food. So Jesus is not saying don't plan, don't think about the future. He's saying don't do it with the wrong motive, the, the wrong engine under the surface. It, it's what's going on underneath that the, that's the issue here. The the, the anxieties and the fears that might motivate our activity are the things that he's actually ta- targeting. Now, that will still, I think, provoke a second question. How does this even help? Just being told not to be, to be anxious. Don't do it. Don't be anxious now. But we need to understand that Jesus isn't just giving us an instruction here. When we read the, the passage, it's, it's not simply made up of one or two commands that Jesus makes. It's absolutely threaded, surrounded. A co- it, it's covered. It's mixed in with a whole range of, 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 of bits of, of teaching that Jesus is bringing to, to his, these disciples of, 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 of his in which he's inviting them to, to reflect and to think and to stop and pause It's not just a a mindless command. It's not just an imperative. Thou shalt not be anxious. I've I've noticed in my own life that doesn't always help. That doesn't usually help. Some of us have been trying not to be anxious. Some of us have spent our lives trying not to worry and, and not necessarily getting very far. The command on its own achieves very little that's profitable in our lives. Just offered to us as law. You see, Jesus isn't offering just law here. No, Jesus has, has help and hope for us. That's, that's what Jesus offers us. In, in fact, all through these messages that we're doing in this series, we're going to be discovering the help and hope that Jesus uniquely supplies us with. He's able to give us more than just instruction, stop it, which we know doesn't particularly help. I, I guess that there are times when we... Ass- when especially some of us are aware of our acute need for more than just another instruction. Now, we're not all wired the same. For some people, worry is more of an issue than it is for others. No question. You see that in the Bible. You see a range of personalities. You see different presenting needs that people have, the, the, the different temperaments and personalities. You see people needing help on a very, very physical level uh, or on a very emotional level. Again and again, as you look through the Bible, you see that we're not just brains in a vat. We are enfleshed humanity, and we, we need help on lots of levels. 
Some of us just emotionally, we will perhaps have particular dispositions and and temptations and proclivities and, and the temptation to anxiety. It will feature in a big way for some of us. So this instruction on its own in a bold kind of way might even make us feel especially burdened with, with extra guilt. I'm supposed to also not be anxious as well. Oh man, now I've got to be anxious about my anxiety. But the Bible's actually way, way, way more realistic about the, the trouble of anxiety and worry than we might first realize. It handles in a kind of robust way the fact that, yeah, worry and fear will present themselves to us. And they are, they are potential accompaniments to our lives all the time. They, they're, they're kind of the, in the background noise all the time of our lives. That, that, there's that kind of background music of fear, anxiety that wants to present itself to the point where, you know, in the Psalms, for example, maybe Psalm 56, when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. That's an interesting phrase, when I am afraid. The psalmist is, is really open about it. He's not sort of imagining, oh, I'm not supposed to be afraid. God says over 300 times in the Bible, don't be afraid. So I shouldn't really confess and be honest about being afraid. I'll, I'll, I'll have to, 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 to write this psalm more carefully. In the hypothetical scenario in which I might potentially be you know, tempted to feel slightly uh, nervous, I'll put my trust in you. No, 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 no. Totally open. When I'm afraid. In other words, yeah, this happens. When I'm afraid, it's part of the way I have to deal with life in a broken, messed up, fallen world, which we human beings have ruined with our sin. Fear has to be dealt with. Anxiety about the future is a real thing. And we see in Jesus a way of handling it, a way of of dealing with it. And, 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 And what we see in Jesus is more than rules, more than simply stop panicking. He's actually going to slow us down and help us, and he's going to be attentive to the way that we're wired. We are wired differently. I've got children who are all different in different ways. It was fascinating for me to watch the way they learned to ride bikes. All different. One of them didn't even need any uh, training, didn't need me to tell her how to do it, just simply got on and, 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 and rode it. Another one of my kids was the direct opposite. It was a lot of talking and hours of trying to help. I guess because in the case of this other child, their imagination was so alive and alert all the time. All the possible scenarios of damage and injury and destruction to bodily parts seemed to play very high in this particular child's imagination. And so it meant that the process of learning to to ride the bike was a little bit more arduous. And people are different. People are wired really, really differently. And so we'll be tempted differently and we'll need help to handle the different kinds of anxieties that come to us. And, and, and what we have in this bit of the Bible we're looking at, and I just want to take some time with it before we finish this morning, we have Jesus' wisdom in how to handle this pressing problem of anxiety about the future. And there are just a, a few things I want to pick out, four, of, four things from these verses that, that, that I hope will help us. Now, first of all, in, in verse 27 of chapter 6, you've got Jesus saying, Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour 
to the span of life, to the span of his life. And what Jesus is doing here is he's exposing the false idea of control. He's exposing the false idea of control, exposing the illusion that we can somehow control the future, that we can somehow, if we know the future, if we can somehow get control of the future, then we will, we will therefore be able to enhance our lives because we will be in control. And Jesus is insisting that we can't. And, and, and that really is going against one of our deepest instincts because we, we seem to be driven by a certain desire to become like God. Actually, if you read the first couple pages of the Bible, you see that, where that comes from, that, 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 that desire, our longing as humans to be able to do just that, to control stuff, to even control the future. If I could just be in control, then everything would be fine. And Jesus is saying, look, you're not going to do that. That is not your place. You can't. It's not your role. It's not your authority. And then secondly, he moves on to share his alternative view of the world. He shares his alternative view of the world. I I say he moves on, but it's actually earlier in the passage, verse 26. He says this, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Now what is Jesus doing here? Well, Jesus is directly challenging their idea of God the Father and their idea of the world in which they find themselves. Jesus wants to question and challenge the way that you and I see this world. See, we have a tendency to see God as either right outside of creation, to the point where He is not involved at all, or sort of inside creation in a way that makes Him just really the same as one of us. That's that's all He is. And Jesus here talks about God's seeing to, you know, the feeding of of, of birds. Your heavenly Father feeds them. Have you ever seen birds being fed by God? You know, in some barn somewhere that God just shows up with a big bowl of soup and ladles out with celestial spoons some magic soup for the birds? You know, that there's some secret meeting taking place that we haven't been invited to? Is that what Jesus is describing? Well, if we have that, 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 that kind of a view of God where either he, he shows up as part of creation or He doesn't show up at all, well, we're going to get confused by verses like this. Or we have this view of God where it's like he's, He winds up creation like a watch. He's like, okay, I'll set creation up to, to obey certain physical laws. You know, matter will be controlled. We'll work in a certain kind of Newtonian way. And, and then I'm going to go off and have lunch. You know, I'm, a busy, I'm, I'm busy being God. I'm going to go and be mysterious while you do all of this material stuff according to the laws of physics. None of these things are true. The laws of physics are absolutely real. But they're real because of God. And because God actually supervises it all. Is involved in it all. In it all. At all. Every single level. The Bible says it in so many ways, so many places. He upholds all things by the power of His Word. He is involved to a subatomic level and smaller, to a degree that we can't even imagine. His wisdom penetrates to the highest and the lowest degree because God controls everything. 
There's no part of creation that can operate without his express permission. He is utterly involved. Even, even in things that just look humdrum, ordinary, they look like, well, that's just nature, whatever nature is, just, that's just doing its thing. That's just happening. No, nothing is just happening. God is working. God is involved in the feeding of the birds. I know it sounds a little bit Mary Poppins, but yeah, that's, that's what he does. He's involved. And Jesus is saying, I want you to stop. I want you to consider. I want you to reflect on these things. And notice the way that Jesus does this. He doesn't give us a, a seminar. He doesn't give us a box set of lectures and some notes. He, he says, take a look. Spend time looking at the birds, at flowers. Yeah, look. See the design. See the wisdom. See the hand of God. See a wise God involved in every single detail. And the person that spends adequate time seeing the wise hand of a sovereign God in the feeding of creatures... We'll, we'll learn to be disabused of this foundationalist panic that I have to somehow control everything in my future or everything will be unraveled. Because I have to control everything because no one else will. And you may have come across the slogan on a, you know, I don't know, fridge, fridge magnet or somewhere that says, we do not know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. In fact, I read an email letter just this week in which the writer signed off with a variant, only God knows what the future holds, but he does hold my future. And I know it may sound a little bit trite and cliche, but it's about right. It's not a Bible verse, but it almost could be. It certainly reflects the point that Jesus is making. He holds it, he controls it to the most infinitesimal degree. And so you actually don't need to worry. He is in control. He is in control. So Jesus gives us a different worldview as well as exposing the illusion of our sense of control. But then also in verse 33 is a third thing. He, he challenges our feeble ambitions. Our, our slightly shrink-wrapped version uh, of life. Because he says right there, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. He's saying in verse 32, you, you know, the nations of the world, the general humanity, uh, the Gentiles, they seek after things that they think will make them feel more adequately secure about the future. As long as I've got these things, I might, uh, uh, I might be secure. He says, don't seek after, after things in that attitude. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the things of God. In fact, what Jesus is saying is your ambitions are too small. Now, this could sound a, a bit counterintuitive because we might expect Jesus to just sort of settle us down to a, you know, a domesticated idea of life just to help us get rid of our anxiety. Well, just stop being so, you know, so ambitious. Just think small. Think comfortable. Think easy. No, Jesus does the opposite here. He says you're anxious about what you're going to wear. You're anxious about what people are going to think of you. You're anxious about whether you're going to uh, you know, get into pain and difficulty and bad health and trouble. You're worried about these things. I'll give you something much bigger to be worried about. God and His kingdom, God and His purposes, God and His plan for our lives are far greater, far more stretching, 
far more challenging and far more exciting than anything else he could, we could give ourselves to. And Jesus has been saying just before this passage, you, you might have noticed that this passage started with the word therefore, uh, which suggests that we should notice what goes before it because it's built on what's been said before. He said in verse 24, no one can serve two masters for either he'll hate the one and love the other or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Or you could substitute any other cause for worry and anxiety in there for money. You cannot serve God and another God at the same time. Because you can't have two kingdoms ruling your life. There's either God's kingdom, there's either the prioritizing, uh, the seeking of Him, His kingdom, His plan for your life, and trusting Him completely, and throwing your whole heart in, getting into the water if you like, and being prepared to trust Him. There's either that or there's constant conflict. There's constant tension in your heart because we never feel truly rested in the provision that God has made available for us. We, we just don't really trust Him. Or, or, or so, we feel, you know, so we feel we have to trust ourselves. We have to control everything. And it's an illusion. You try and live on the basis of your own control, your own kingdom. You're ruling everything and making sure everything's fine. And I'll tell you, it might work for a few minutes, but really, honestly, your life will be characterized by anxiety. And so he says, you try and live that way, and, and, and then he comes into verse 25 with, therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life. You try to live in the wrong kingdom, You'll get anxiety. God's kingdom, yeah, more demanding, more challenging, even than normal life. But when you're in the will of God, when you're trusting God, when you're doing what God's called you to do, you will find, in a way that you can't completely understand, the resources of a heaven are available to you. The strength and the help that you need for every step of obedience is provided. We don't even get to know why or how quite often. We just, we, we just take the step of obedience. If you follow Jesus, you will have to get used to this principle from time to time. Making decisions, making steps of trust, making steps of obedience uh, to, to, to Jesus without having 100% um, information. I don't know if, 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 if this will work. I don't know what will happen if I do this. I don't know how it will work. I, I don't know if this person will be offended. I don't know if, if this will go right. I, 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 I just don't know. I just don't know if everyone's going to click into place of being cool with this or, or if it's going to cause problems. I don't know. But I know what I'm meant to do for Jesus. I do know that. I know enough. It's hardly 100% information, but life will often be like that for the follower of Jesus. And Jesus promises here, seek first his kingdom, all these other things he will see to them. You take care of God's business, and he'll take care of yours. And, and you'll find again and again that he's good for this. You'll find again and again that, that this actually is true. Some of of these that Jesus is talking to in this part of the Bible, they're going to go out from here and change the world. They're going to go and, and start churches all over the Roman Empire. They're going to go 
Now, they're, they're going to be constantly getting into trouble. They're going to be getting locked up in prison. Some of them were martyred, literally killed for their faith. A terrifying prospect. Jesus is saying, listen, guys, you're worried and anxious about life and food and clothing and where you're going to live, and you're worried about those things. I tell you, the plan of God for your life is far greater still. It's far more challenging. But here's the thing. You follow God, you get involved in chasing after Him, pursuing Him, you'll find that the strength and the resources, you'll find that what's needed for you is provided. And many of our anxieties come from a divided heart where we haven't decided in our hearts yet, can I trust Him? Can I seek first His kingdom? Or am I really seeking these other things which he says he will see to, he will make sure of? So Jesus is challenging a number of things here and helping us to even get our ambitions caught up with his. And then the last thing that he says here is really about the rhythms of life. At the end of the passage, verse 34, therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow for comfortable moment coming, nice words of comfort. To follow, perhaps, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Well, not so comforting, perhaps, at first, but think about it. He says, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So what's happening here? Well, we started with Jesus exposing the illusion of control. That was number one. Secondly, Jesus sharing his his worldview. That, That was number two. The third thing was Jesus stirring up our ambition, encouraging ambition. The fourth and final thing is Jesus reasserting His rhythm, His rhythm in our lives. Anxiety about the future is really a failure to stay in rhythm with God. See, God really meant it when He set the rhythm of human life off according to 24-hour stretches days and nights. That's life as we know it. And that's for a reason. Because God wants us to relate to Him in the present. In the present day. He wants us to learn His rhythms and be confident, trustingly confident of daily endowments for everything that we need. He wants us to learn that if we feel nervous and anxious and worried about, say, a, a three-week or three-month, six-month, two-year stretch of road ahead of us, uh, you know, I don't know what to expect over the next few months. God, please tell me what's going to happen. Uh, you know, let, let me know. Please give me everything I need now for what's ahead in a few months' time. If he was to do that, if God was to say, okay, I will now give you everything you need from me today for the next 10 years, I'll tell you what will happen to me. I instinctively become rather self-sufficient. I instinctively don't need God, apparently, because I've got my endowment. I've got everything I need in one huge dollop. And so why would I go back to him? Why would I, I need to talk to him tomorrow? or the day after, or the day after that. But God doesn't want that for me because He knows actually that what I really, really need isn't the stuff. 
What I really, really need isn't the bread, not especially. The clothes, the house, yeah, they're important. I do need them, but I need him more. And I need my walk with him every day to be refreshed. I need to to hit that refresh button daily. And so Jesus has established a rhythm here for us. He says, every day has its own trouble. Therefore, every day also has its allotted grace. And so coming to God on a daily basis, it's not really about us keeping the rules and trying to be a good Christian by having a daily quiet time with Him. But it's about us saying, I, I've, I've, I've learned that I live dependent on you. I, I've, I've learned that much. I will take my day as an opportunity to obey you, trust you, and, and leave the future with you. I have to. You will have to at times in your life. You simply can't do otherwise. Corrie Ten Boom was a, a Dutch girl who grew up in her childhood uh, during the, the Holocaust. And her parents protected some Jews in their house in Holland. And, and she and her family knew that they were probably risking everything. There would be a time potentially where they would be taken away uh, to their own deaths for protecting the Jews. And, and she said to her dad, before uh, the family were eventually infiltrated, she said to her father sometime before, she said, what will happen? Will I have the strength and the courage to stand up for Jesus and do the right thing when I have to? And I think for many people, me included, that's the the kind of fear of the future that causes us to struggle. That's the kind of anxiety that gets to me. I don't know about you, but but would would I have the strength and the grace? Can I handle the future? Can I handle the challenges that might come to me as a husband, as a father, as a pastor? Maybe for you it's as a parent or a husband or a, a wife or just a Christian in the workplace with, with, with responsibility. Will I be able to, to stand strong? Will I have what it takes? And Corey Temboon said this, said this to her dad, and her dad said to her something so extremely wise as has become a bit of a legend uh, for many of us. Uh, he said, you know, Corey, when, when we go to the train station to go on a train, when do I give you the ticket? Do I give you the ticket a, a few weeks before the day uh, when we go, you know, you know, before we go? No. Do I give you the, it, while we're, we're walking to the, 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 the station? No. Do I give it to you as we walk through the station door? No. When do I give it to you? She said, you give the ticket to me just when we're about to board the train. That's when I get the ticket. I, I don't give it to you a few weeks before. She's a young girl. I mean, she'd lose it if, if it was given a few weeks before. I, I give it to you just at the point that you need it. And Jesus is insistent on this for you and me. If you want to follow Jesus, this is how he wants it done. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. In other words, come to your God on whom you are totally dependent for today's grace, for today's needs. You'll, you'll, you'll be amazed as I've been, pressures and experiences I've been through where I honestly look back and think, how did I get through that? I would never have imagined. If you told me months before that that, that was going to happen, I, I wouldn't have got out of bed. But I found 
grace from this trustworthy God for the moment when it was needed. He is a very present help. When? In time of need. Come to the throne of grace to find mercy and grace to help. When? In the time of need. When does God give us grace to help? In time of need. Now to be sure, and this is my last comment, some of us, we, we don't really know um, our needs, right? I, I said earlier, um, if you feel the, the need for approval, the thing you'll fear, fear of, above all is criticism. If you feel the need for love, the thing you'll fear the most is, is you know, feel the need for love, the thing you'll fear the most is, is, is rejection. If you feel the need for comfort, the thing you'll fear the most is physical pain. Actually, the thing that you might not realize is that your greatest need, your greatest need of all, is peace with God. Is for the, the God of heaven, the majestic, magnificent God in control of everything, for him to be reconciled to you, to, for him to be joined back in relationship with you, for you to be forgiven by him. That is the greatest possible need that any human being could conceivably have. Most don't live very aware of it, most don't think about it, but it is our greatest need. And Jesus. Have you noticed in the passage, he keeps saying things like, if God cares about the birds of the air, if he cares about the lilies, will he not also look after you as well, O oh, you of little faith? That is, he's, if he's given you, you know, life in a body, then don't you think he'll look after your food and your clothing? Jesus makes this argument. He says, if God has given this much, don't you think he'll also, you know, look after your smaller needs as well? And truth is, friends, the greatest need we could possibly have, possibly have, peace with God. God himself has provided for that great need at the greatest conceivable cost to himself, to the greatest degree of pain. God has done everything necessary through Jesus on the cross. God himself proved, demonstrated his goodness as a father. This is the kind of God he is. He's that willing. He's that loving. He, he, you say he cares for the birds. What, what, what kind of God would, would, would care about the birds? Yeah, I agree. It's a strange thing that he would so care about little feathery creatures. I mean, yeah, it's, it's nice that he cares about those creatures. But, you know, the reality is that God's love for people human beings, men and women, is so much greater. The value He places on us in spite of our wickedness, in spite of our sin, in spite of the, the many wronging, wrongdoings in our lives. Jesus, God's Son, on the cross, took our sin, took our guilt, took our shame, demonstrating to us all how good this God is. And it means that you and I can come to know a God who forgives, a God who makes astounding promises to us, a God who adopts us into his family as his children to become loved, accepted, cared for to that degree. I mean, you're maybe thinking to yourself this morning, you know, how can I, how can I be sure that he really will look after me? That he really will care for me and meet my needs in the future? How can I be sure that I really mean anything to him you can be sure by looking at the cross of Jesus. If he was prepared, as Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but 
delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? He's already given us his best. We can be sure that he'll look after us. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for the gift of your son, Jesus. And we want to pray that this constant temptation we have to fear the future, the anxieties that uh, can plague us, um, that they will be dissolved in time as we learn to receive the, the true comfort, the true love, the true affirmation and approval that comes from a Father who has already given His best for us. In Jesus' name, Amen.